Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're re- Reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? Oh, yeah. You know, that is such a crucial issue. Does the addict want to change that about himself? And I got to tell you, um, this is such a new field. I want you to know that truly, There is so much going on, no doubt about it. And one of the things that I know is that there are new concepts, new terminology, new experiences being shared every single day. And that is why I am so excited today to be talking with Hope Ray. Hope has put together something really amazing. And I, I can't believe what she's talking about. She's talking about complex post-traumatic um, partner trauma. You heard me right, complex partner trauma. She's talking about betrayal violence. She's wanting you to understand exactly what the new terminology is so that you know what is occurring in your life. And when you know better, you do better. And that's why she's come up with a whole host of new information that she wants professionals, clinicians and coaches to know about, and she wants you to know about too. And so I am so excited to be talking to her because she's got a new magazine now. And it explains complex partner trauma and what that is and what violence betrayal is. And nothing could be more clear. She does such a great job. So I can't wait to speak to Hope Ray. She is 
kind of a neighbor. She's out of Michigan, and I'm from Indianapolis. And so, truly, we want to hear what this is all about so that you can ask yourself, do I identify with this? You know, what's going on? Do I see things in this same way? And I think when she explains it to you, you're absolutely going to understand. And it takes a lot of guts and it takes a lot of money to put together a magazine. And this is so slick. It is so professional. It's so very much identifies new terminology that we all need to know about. And, I mean, she even has a small uh, quick notes, although she calls quick notes, for certified sex addiction therapists so that they can begin to use this new terminology too and understand the differences and betrayal violence, infidelity violations, and abusive behavior and communication, maladaptive character traits, inverse character traits. I bet you've never heard about this stuff. So, again, I can't wait to talk to the creator, Hope Um She's worked hard at this, and, you know, I always say we're pioneers in the field because we create things as needed. You know, we think we've got it 100%, and then we go, hmm, something's missing here. I mean, truly, that is how IRCAM was developed, the Early Recovery Couples Empathy Model. It wasn't until I realized that I needed to call couples in together to talk about this issue from the get-go and to help them feel safe and stable, once we could do this, well, then we would be able to be better providers. And so that's why I am very, very, very excited to be talking to Hope because she is a uh, master in the field. And uh, there's nothing more that we can hope for than better understanding of what is going on. So, I'm going to ask you, what is it that you have felt as a listening audience that you felt just wasn't exactly um, working in your life? Maybe you weren't getting the right communication from your trauma therapist. Maybe uh, you had a counselor or a pastor that just didn't seem to be getting your pain or the addiction. You know, I just met with a, a couple yesterday, and he said, I'm here because my wife wants me to be, and I don't want to be, because I don't believe in sex addiction. And then he said, and neither does my therapist. And then he said, and on top of it, you don't have any credentials to be writing what you do. And I thought, gee, I'm on two faculties 
for the CSAT organization, the Certified Sex Addiction Therapist Organization, ICAP, and I'm on faculty for APSAT, the Partner Sensitive Trauma Model. I don't think you can be on more faculties than that. And so I wondered what he was being told by his therapist. She obviously had misinformation and she's doing him a disservice to tell him she doesn't believe in sex addiction. And here is his wife sitting beside him. So sad because she has been gaslit and darvoed and misled and told that she was crazy for a long, long time. And she brought him there. She actually got him help her heal. Um, she got her, him help her heal, hoping that it would awaken him. And, of course, it did nothing more but keep him in denial. And, you know, it was ammunition against her. Believes that, too. We got a lot of problems. And that's why I'm excited to be talking to Hope Ray, because she's going to set the story straight. And... She's going to be talking to you about a lot of things you've never heard of, you may have had intuition about that you've never heard of. And we know that there are clinicians and coaches all over the world that listen to this show to get more information about sexual compulsivity and problematic sexual behavior and sex addiction and partner trauma and partner betrayal. So Hope Ray, welcome to Sex Help with Carol the Coach. I am so excited to have you on. Thank you, Carol. I have been looking forward to speaking with you today. It's been a long time, and I'm grateful for the invitation. Yes, I told our listening audience that we're kind of neighbors. You're in Michigan, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> and I'm in kind Indiana. <laughs> about, about a five-hour drive. There you go. So, obviously, as I read through your magazine and, and your quick notes, I, I called it the clip notes, actually quick notes for CSAP because, you know, you have made it your mission to educate, educate in general, but especially professionals to understand what clients are going through so that they can call a spade a spade. Um, and, and when did you begin to feel like there were some new definitions, some new conceptualization that was needed in this field? I love that question. Well, I've been working on this material for about 10 years and finally put it together in a form, you know, a publication that I call a magazine. Essentially, it looks and feels like a magazine. It worked really hard on that. But for about the, the past 10 to 12 years, I have been observing the work that I'm doing with clients and learning that, you know, and, and a lot of people are learning this right along with me, have been tracking right along with me, that when somebody uh, commits secret and repeated infidelity, there is a, a world of additional features that coincide with that, things like deception, uh, withholding information about the partner's well-being and safety. Uh, there is, you know, subterfuge, essentially this evasive form of trying to keep the truth hidden, trying to keep the behaviors that have been done in secret hidden. And so what 
I figured out, what many of our colleagues, what you have figured out over these years that our field has taken more shape, mm-hmm. is that in order to heal a relationship, a person who has betrayed their partner cannot just address their secret and problematic sexual behavior. That won't do the trick when it's done alone. Beyond recovery of the sexual problem, there needs to be rehabilitation for the empathy issue, the sense of entitlement to uh, be able to contort the partner's reality and manage the outcomes in a way that really restrains the partner from knowing uh, what's going on in their relational world. And, you know, when a partner is inhibited from being able to accurately assess her own safety and well-being in the relationship, then, you know, she's she's suffering from a form of abuse. And and most of the time what we've learned, I think, in our field is that most of the the folks who are doing this betraying are not intending to abuse their partners, not trying to establish dominion over their partners, uh, but more so they're doing an evasive use of power and control to really manage uh, perceptions and outcomes and to, to control reality. Nonetheless, that is abusive behavior, and it needs rehabilitation, too, if a couple is going to to make it, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, what I've done over the years is said, you know, I see I'm doing this work. I see my colleagues doing this work, but I'm not sure where to place it. Um, If you look at the definition of sex addiction or compulsive sexual behavioral disorder, you don't see this deceptive subterfuge type of material included in that criteria. Uh, What you see is, you know, behavioral indicators around compulsive sex or problematic uh, issues with sex. And like I said, that's kind of half the story that Uh couples are facing. So, you know, I figured, well, we need to call this conduct something. Uh, We have a a term to call, you know, this type of sexual behavior. Oftentimes sex addiction works well for that uh, or, you know, compulsive sexual behavior disorder. Um, But sometimes there's other things on board, too. As you know, there's, you know, potentially um, other mood disorders or personality disorders. Uh, There can be issues uh, of neurodivergence, ADHD, autism, a lot of different influencing factors. And so... You know, it's not, it's rarely just sex addiction, um, and and it always unfolds in this, you know, awful, abusive tango of what's true and what's not true, and the partner is left trying to search for his or her reality. So I call it betrayal violence, and I would be happy to talk about how violence is such a strong word and where on earth I would come up with, with pegging this with that term. But the idea is I wanted to define the conduct that so many of us are starting to really hone in on beyond just sex addiction. Mm-hmm. Well, and I would absolutely agree with you. And I, I believe that um, Omar Manuela's um, belief in integrity abuse is part of what you're talking about. I think that's why it resonates so much with partners because the word abuse is in it. And mm-hmm. he's done a good job of being at the grassroots of a lot of things. And, mm-hmm. you know, he was on the board for AppSats and, 
and he's got a really strong professional following as well as women and partners really believe this resonates with the terror, um, the destruction that they feel. And that's what, as I read your magazine, Hope, I was like, for the first time ever, I am seeing a publication that addresses um, more than integrity abuse. It is the absolute abuse of power and control that occurs in so many couples' stories. You know, you cite the, the addict who puts antibiotics into the food of his wife so that he can treat, I don't know if that was a sexually transmitted disorder or yeah. the condition, and I too, um, I role play a um, Vesuvius, which is an anger exercise, and I role play a client who was pregnant with her child, with their child, and he brought home a prescription maintaining that he had strep throat when, in essence, he had an STD and he wanted her treated too. And, I mean, this is just scrapes the beginning of the barrel. And so you call it betrayal violence, and uh, that is a violent term. And you said you could talk some more about it. So would you share with our listening audience why such a strong word? Um, yeah. Because it does capture the injustice that couples, partners, um, our society has experienced with this kind of abuse. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that invitation. It's important to talk about this and to do so, you know, with, to do so carefully because, you know, what I don't want to do is contribute to a lopsided approach to this, that all men who are acting in this regard are unchangeable or that they are doing um, all of this because they uh, simply want to be domineering jerks. Um, The truth is that many men have an insufficient realization that this is how they're conducting themselves toward their partner because essentially their main goal is to avoid consequences. So let's talk about the word violence and why I use it. I'll read you the definition that the World Health Organization uses to define violence, which is the intentional use of physical force or power, threatened or actual power, against oneself, another person, or against a group or community that either results in or has a high likelihood of resulting in injury, death, psychological harm, Mm -hmm. maldevelopment, or deprivation. So let's look at the terms psychological harm, maldevelopment, and deprivation. When you have, uh, and I'm going to use the pronouns she and him to kind of, um, you know, talk about the typical dynamic that I'm seeing with my clients, which would be where the uh, cisgender heterosexual couple is experiencing this betrayal violence, and it's the man who is uh, keeping the sexual secrets and committing the betrayal violence, and the woman is betrayed. Uh, So the idea here is that when she is um, restrained from essential information about her safety, her well-being, 
so that she cannot accurately assess her own safety and well-being because that information has been kept from her. Then we have a great setup for psychological harm or maldevelopment of a, a relationship in a family unit and, you know, for deprivation of rights, right to consent to be sexual with a partner who may not be disclosing risk of STIs uh, or just, you know, sometimes there isn't physical sexual acting out and the betrayal is much more emotional in nature. And so a partner may not be at risk for uh, STIs or sexually transmitted infections, but the idea that they are contributing to the relationship, continuing to bond and attach to the relationship as if all is normal, despite the very abnormal circumstances that they've been kept from knowing about. And so the trauma here is not just the pain and devastation of being cheated on or the infidelity, but it's the fact that these women were positioned to continue contributing and attaching to the relationship uh, freely and generously in ways that they would not have otherwise if they had known. And so I use the word violence because here's the deal. Even though many men do not intend to be violent toward their partners, in fact, as you know, Carol, a lot of these men feel there's no other way but to keep these secrets because they know how devastated it would, devastating it would be for their partners. They're scared of hurting them, uh, and they're ashamed, right? But at the end of the day, the intention to keep those secrets, the intention to create a power differential, a knowledge difference between the man and his wife or his partner, that is where we look at culpability here for violence. And so intention does matter, but the intention isn't about trying to abuse someone. The intention is about using that power and control. So that's why I use the word violence. It's a strong one, I know, but I believe it to be extremely accurate. And if we can define this conduct, then there's a lot of good that can come from that. First of all, the men that I share this with are often relieved to understand, hey, this is essentially what my wife is experiencing. These terms make sense. I don't want to do this anymore. I understand that I need to rehabilitate my character and my deception and my use of abusive behavior that I may not have even recognized. The men find this to be helpful. The women find it to be relieving. But then we have therapists who are also saying, hey, I've been doing this all along, but now I have definitions and terminology that kind of, you know, embed, uh, you know, the work I've been doing, the program that I'm running. This fits so nicely with some of the work that you've put forth, your Urkham model, which is astounding, and all the work you do with empathy. You can see how betrayal violence just kind of comes alongside nicely to say, hey, here's some kind of root terms that really um, uh, promote the work that you're doing when it comes to helping men find that empathy and be an agent of healing toward their partners, right? So, um, you know, I think it benefits clinicians too, and, and the hope would be that this will trickle out into society and into the legal system where there's a lot of problems for couples who are in the midst of divorce around this type of betrayal. Uh, particularly for the women, there's a lot of disadvantages for them in divorce proceedings. Um, and, you know, faith-based communities too, community centers. I want this to become helpful language, hopefully, so that this type of abuse can also be recognized and substantiated. 
Yeah, I think this is so timely because we're hearing more and more and more about focusing on the injustice or focusing in on the justice of a situation, of community, of a culture. And this terminology helps to identify it. And then, as you indicated, we can figure out treatments that specifically address it and call it what it is. Now, you know, you and I both went through um, APSATS and we recognize that, you know, oftentimes partners go through generalized anxiety or post-traumatic stress, or even if they've had other layers of betrayal, complex post-traumatic stress. And so your first issue is complex partner trauma. Will you talk a little bit about complex partner trauma and what that is so that our listening audience can identify whether that's a part of their own life? Yes, I would love to. So I think that the experience the partner goes through, particularly the the female partner, which is what all of my anecdotal research is based on at this point, I think that that needs to be named. Uh, And so, you know, I've kind of created a a sort of diagnostic term. Of course, you wouldn't find this in the rubric of diagnostic criteria like the DSM or the the ICD-10 or anything, but, you know, maybe someday, right? Because there's a very specific experience that women uh, who've been through this type of betrayal and um, ongoing crying for years have experienced. And it, it, it can work to call it post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, it can work to call it CPTSD. But um, what I think really works is to call it complex partner trauma. And so there's a few criteria. The first one is that the person uh, is in a position of endangerment. And what that means is that their well-being and their safety uh, has been compromised by the person they're in a committed relationship with. Um, because of the secret fidelity violations and the use of that abusive behavior and communication to avoid the consequences, to cover it up and keep it hidden. Mm -hmm. So that positions somebody in a place of endangerment. And most of the time, they don't know that they're endangered. So criteria one would be you've been in a position of endangerment. Criteria two would be that while endangered, the, the partner continues investing, or what I call attachment investing, uh, toward their partner. Um, so, you know, they're creating and accepting opportunities for physical and emotional intimacy with their significant other. They're looking to achieve affection, closeness, um, but attachment investing during unknown endangerment causes detriment to their safety and to their well-being. And as, as we hear partners say all the time, when they finally learn about the full depth and breadth of the endangerment they were facing, they look back and they say, how stupid I feel for, you know, still supporting him in his career or talking so well about him to others um, or, you know, having sex with him, you know, when I was in that place of endangerment. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. They couldn't know what they couldn't know. Exactly. This is something, yeah, society doesn't understand. They, uh, there are many, many people in the mental health realm that still don't understand that, when somebody is having their reality kept from them, they don't have a way of knowing unless they themselves use their spidey senses to discover evidence. And even when they do encounter evidence, very often 
it has been so concealed that they're only turning up shreds of information that would not relay the fullest picture of, of the actual endangerment they're suffering. So they may have, over the course of time, discoveries or truths that they learn, but they don't know the whole story until they really get to a place of, of full clinical disclosure. Well, I think you talked about that attachment issue, and I know that anybody who really wants a healthy relationship, as they begin to feel the disconnection or they begin to sense um, that something isn't right, may actually look for ways to attach further to correct the issue, and they put themselves in more danger out of wanting to fix things and not knowing what they're really dealing with also creates that harm's way. And so when we talk about attachment, you know, my experience is that women will also say, I knew something was wrong. I didn't know what. And I am so mad at myself for trying harder or having more sex or giving him more space or rubbing his back and, and nurturing him more when ultimately that betrayal had so many layers of um, what you would call abuse. You know, we know that our partners not only experience the abuse that is inherent in sex addiction, but again, all the uh, deception that occurs with being contacted by affair partners or extorted or you know, just layers and layers and layers of unconscionable things that nobody should ever have to go through. And so, again, attachment is such an important issue, and it's important to detach when you find out about this abuse and figure out how you're going to take care of yourself before you can look at reattaching, right? Absolutely. Oh, I love how you put that. I mean, you in our field are pretty much a forerunner in this area. So to talk with you about my thoughts here seems a little backwards, but I'd be happy to segue. You know, you, your, your work has really informed our field that uh, the attachment uh, is a huge piece here. And again, it needs serious addressing um, for couples to be able to start fresh and to heal. Uh, I call it the partner adaptive bonding cycle, exactly what you said, that oftentimes when a person feels, hey, something's off, you know, they, they, but they can't put their finger on the source of their uneasy feelings that are arising, they will make meaning out of what they can. Well, he's stressed at work. Well, the kids have been a lot lately, and it's been tough, and so we're just not connecting. Well, maybe, you know, his hormones are changing, uh, you know. Maybe I have, you know, let myself go. We can go into all sorts of territory, especially that self-doubt, self-blame type of place. And the idea is that we make meaning out of these uneasy feelings of disconnect and something being off. Remember, we're, if we're in danger here, our safety and well-being has been compromised. Deep within, there is an alert system going off. But because we can't place the origins of these feelings. We can't find, you know, the, the puzzle pieces that show us the picture. 
we have to pull things out of thin air and just kind of use our external world to figure out what, why we might be feeling this way. And so it increases sometimes the need to attach, uh, the desire to connect, to be a good partner, to try hard. Uh, and so those adaptations and bonding end up being very painful later on when the partner learns oh my goodness, that whole time I was deeply endangered. I was being lied to. I was being betrayed, right? And so, like you said, to um, build a healthy new attachment, it's important to examine those adaptations that have taken place, uh, and it's important for the partner to be able to operate in what I call wise femininity, where she's balanced in her intuition, her sensitivity, and also her vulnerability to be able to navigate how she's feeling treated by the person uh, if her needs are being met uh, for establishing safety, such as is he, you know, passing polygraphs or is he, um, you know, providing the empathy I've seen him be capable of. And as she's assessing those things, she can give and receive and pull back accordingly. But that's a tricky dance and both partners really need support there in the, in the healing process. And it takes a long time. And, and, you know, you said earlier that your terminology is not yet in any diagnostic statistical manual or part of the World Health Organization. I'm curious, did you come up with these concepts all by yourself, or have you been working with a team of professionals on this really important work that I think will end up in our diagnostic statistical manuals? Uh, well, that gives me goosebumps because that would be a wonderful thing. Um, and such a generous question, too, because um, the truth is yes and no. So all of these terms, you know, this is the work that I've been working on for 10 years. years. I have, yeah, I have always been a theoretician. I remember sitting in my psychology college class and learning about Piaget and Freud and saying, that's how my mind works. I want to create theories, and it's just how my brain goes, so I can't help it. Mm -hmm. um, but now that I've released it, I am assembling a team because what needs to happen is it needs to have more than just my brain. Uh, you know, I need to run it through many other folks um, because the importance of, of getting as much um, insight and collecting as much data as we can here is really the next step because we want to validate and empirically uh, establish these terms and so we're working on some research um, you know i hope people will embrace this terminology but i don't want any of my colleagues to feel like this would in any way you know cause them to need to change uh, or adapt their methodology unless perhaps they're learning something here that they aren't activating but, you know, this is really more of a base, like a root idea, mm -hmm. out of which many really awesome programs that, that are already operating and helping people heal are kind of aligned with already. I think clinicians will see that as they read through it. Um, so the other, the other thing I'll say is that while these definitions and, and terms have come from my, my you know, strategizing and, and cataloging over the years, um, I came into this field on uh, the shoulders of folks like you, Carol. You've been here, I think, maybe longer than, well, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> but the idea is that, you know, we, um, we are progressing because of work, resources, books, 
uh, research findings, and the experience of our young field, which is becoming more established, more credible in the greater field of psychology. And so, I mean, uh, work like yours, models like yours, uh, AppSats, ITAP, um, you know, there are so many groups, um, so many clinicians and colleagues of ours who have written books and moved us to a place where it was easier for me to see what might be missing and things were clear enough for me to say, hey, here's a gap I think that we could fill with these types of terms and vocabulary. Mm -hmm. So I have not done it alone. Mm -hmm. Well, I hear that you haven't done it alone, but as I look at this beautifully done magazine, I wish everybody could see it. Um, not to be offensive, it is so slick. It is so well done. The, the pictures, the illustrations, even the back of the, of the first issue, is, oh. is, um, it, it gives you cold chills. So, yeah, aesthetically, it's gorgeous as it's talking about really serious, um, really impactful relationship issues that, that will help an addict and will help a partner and could help the coupleship, um, mm -hmm. depending on what they do with their own lives. And I'm, I find that when women can claim what is happening to them, they get stronger, their boundaries get better, they become more assertive, and that original, what's wrong with me, why wasn't I good enough, turns into, I am good enough, and I am going to create my own life, with or without you. And that's what I believe this magazine does. It gives you the language to know it's okay to claim yourself again. And that's what you just described, even with the addicts who say, oh, my gosh, I have been doing this, and I want to change, or I knew I needed to change. Now I have the language to do it. So it works in both people's favor. I think so. You know, the word violence is so intense, right? It provokes images of black eyes and bruises, and many men, I just had a call with a couple last night, and, and he said, why are you calling this abuse? And I said, well, I actually prefer to use the word violence, <laughs> which is even stronger, and I explained it. And in a sober way, you know, he was able to accept that readily because, you know, it, we are really making sure people understand the intention is in the use of the power and control. The intention is not about the outcome of a hurting, traumatized partner. Very rarely is that a part of the scenario. Now, I will say that some people can experience multiple forms of abuse. For instance, they can be victims of intimate partner violence or narcissistic abuse uh, and betrayal violence as well. But betrayal violence is really specific. It includes three things. The conduct involves a person uh, maintaining a relationship with their partner while secretly and repeatedly violating fidelity and then using abusive behavior and communication to avoid the consequences. Now, that abusive behavior and communication is really outlined as deception, persuasion, or thought control, and exploitation, meaning, uh, you know, taking the wife on dates while, you know, secretly and repeatedly cheating behind her back and making her feel special, giving her gifts, taking her on vacation, celebrating their anniversary, exploiting her trust in that way, exploiting her labor. So, 
you know, while she's running the kids around to all their sports, while he's staying late at the office to look at pornography uh, or to nap because he was up all night. Those would be examples of exploitation. So what we don't have included in this criteria of betrayal violence is verbal or physical aggression um, or assault. Uh, that is a different form of violence. It's a different use of power and control. And unfortunately, some people can experience, you know, multiple forms of violence at once. So that makes a really tough healing journey, but it is possible. Yes, and I guess that's what I love about you, Hope, is that you do give hope. And you're also not, you're calling a spade a spade, but you recognize that um, when people know better, most oftentimes they want to do better. And we are professionals that want to make that happen. So I just can't wait for this information to get out. And as we end for today, tell us how you are getting this information out. How are people getting these magazines? How can they find out more about this terminology? Great. Uh, The magazine is available on my website. It will be up on Amazon soon. But for now, go to HopeRay.com, and it's right there for you. Uh, The um, BetrayalViolenceInstitute.com is another place where more of the clinical terminology is located, and, and that's where we're building a team of folks to be able to bring more research forward and help validate uh, these terms and, and get this into into general knowledge. That would be the hope. So hoperay.com, betrayalviolenceinstitute.com. Of course, I'd love for anyone to come over to Instagram. I'm really enjoying Instagram lately. So I'm uh, Hoperay Therapy and uh, Betrayal Violence are the handles over there. Right. And do you have any research um, studies that our listening audience can be a part of? Oh, what a great question. I've been getting a lot of emails from women who are stumbling across the Betrayal Violence Institute website, and I'm so grateful for them. I'm actually having trouble keeping up because at this point, the surveys we're developing, um, I'm working with a, a research survey uh, methodologist who is uh, helping me to you know, make sure that we're doing this correctly. Right. And because of the nature of this content, Carol, it's difficult to determine should this just be free and accessible you know online where a woman could take this and then possibly stumble into some new knowledge of the the level of detriment they've suffered Mm -hmm. potentially the abuse they've suffered and have no support to you know kind of help them with that so we may want this to be administered by clinicians so we're kind of determining how to go about doing this correctly and ethically and sensitively okay so if you want to be a part of this research, I'm sure you can contact what? Info at HopeRay.com and You know what? Great question. Research at betrayalviolenceinstitute.com. Research at betrayalviolenceinstitute.com. That is where we are collecting uh, folks who want to be involved and, and all sorts of things. Especially if you've got support, you've got a partner-sensitive clinician, you've got people around you that understand trauma, violence, abuse. Hope, uh, how exciting for you. I am just thrilled beyond belief. This is amazing material. We're going to see hope everywhere, including Dateline. Um, Good morning, America. I guarantee it. Um, Just keep doing what you're doing because you really are carrying it on. So thank you so much. Thank you, Carol. Thank you so much for your 
Your wisdom and your support means the world to me. Absolutely. And let's continue on, okay? We will. We'll carry the torch together. It's a deal. Talk to you soon. (laughs) Have a great week. Okay, so again, I just can't emphasize this woman is uh, really all about conflict partner trauma. And she wants to change the world, and she wants to do it for both of you. And you know me, I want to do things for both of you, too. So once again, if you want to catapult your relationship, if you want to get more understanding of Urkham and your own ability to contribute to the relationship to make a difference, whether you be a partner or an addict, why don't you come to my Urkham special, um, my Urkham workshop for couples. It's a one day on July 14th from 10 to 5 Eastern Standard Time. We'd love to have you. We're keeping it small to seven couples. And my promise is it will make a difference in your relationship, in your functioning, in your sense of self, and in your connection. So we'll see you next week for more Sex Health with Carol the Coach. And remember, there'll only be one of you at all times fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. It's your next week.